0: Oh, uh-huh. Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome to the January 5th, 2018 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us for the very first show of 2018. Let's get a quick take on Meow Wolf, a Santa Fe-based art exhibition announcing that Denver will be the next home for its $50 million, five-story, 90,000-square-foot home. The space is set to open in 2020 near Mile High Stadium, with tickets already being sold for the first week. Patty Calhoun of Westward, uh, you and uh, Westward are the home of everything cool. So please enlighten <laughs> us of the the, very, the the much less cool, like myself. What the heck is Meow Wolf?
1: Meow Wolf is indeed cool. So 10 years ago, a cooperative in Santa Fe started the way most of them do on a shoestring. They did some art. What jet propelled them is three years ago, George R. R. Martin, Game of Thrones, bought an old bowling alley in Santa Fe, which allowed them to create this huge immersive art installation. And it's been such a hit there that they're first coming to Denver where they're going to have a brand-new building built for them right in the heart of that gritty corner between Auraria Parkway and the Platte and I-25, and they're building something three times as big as in Santa Fe, and it is just going to be an amazing immersive art exhibit, permanent, that employs hundreds of Denver artists, we hope.
0: We certainly do. David Koppel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Uh, what do you make of this big announcement? It's still trying, we're still trying to figure out what it is. Uh, this sounds like a, uh, a good thing for a good part of Denver. What are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, I was surprised. It's, it's near Mile High Stadium, so I thought the meow was going to be actually the Broncos being renamed for, for more truth in <laughs> <and> advertising. <laughs>
0: That, that is well done, David. <laughs>
2: yeah. um, it, it, I don't know anything about it other than what Patty says, and she's always, she always tells the truth. So it it's, sounds like it's going to be great. You know, this is we've spent a lot of time last year talking about gentrification and increased housing prices, well, w- which makes it harder for some people to afford housing. This is the other side of it. You have a dynamic, vibrant, growing city that people want to come to. Uh, this is all, it's going to increase the entertainment, give more jobs to artists, and, of course, it's going to further drive up housing prices because we'll have more people living here and real estate will be more expensive. It's, you can't have one without the other.
0: Eric Sonnen, political analyst, you are always up on the cool stuff. Do you have one of the advance
3: tickets? I do not have one of the advance tickets, and you have a very wrong uh, (laughs) uh, perception of me. I I defer to Patty, as do you, uh, for my uh, cool advice or or cool analysis. So I know uh, little about this as well. I think Patty will be at opening day. Somehow I think that uh, David and I will, uh, those invites will get lost in the mail. Uh, David's comments about gentrification are on the mark. I noted that the announcement came on the same day as the stock show parade and the opening of the stock show, and it struck me as a juxtaposition of old Denver and new Denver, uh, what Denver's been historically and what Denver is becoming. It sounds like our invitation is probably to more of a bark tiger rather than the owl wolf. So I, I, get, I get your point.
4: Ed Sealever from the Denver Business Journal joins us. Ed, uh, business-wise, is this a big deal for Denver? Yeah, it's a big deal. This could be a, a new tourist attraction for Denver and I think it's significant. Our sister paper in Albuquerque, Albuquerque Business First, reported a year ago they were looking at Las Vegas, Denver, and Austin for possible expansion but they said yesterday that Denver officials and Denver residents really put the city ahead of the others. I think it speaks well for Denver's ability to draw and tourists and artists.
0: U.S. Attorney General Jeff Sessions pulled the plug on the Cole and Ogden marijuana memos on Thursday, which sparked a firestorm of responses in Colorado. Governor Hickenlooper and Attorney General Cynthia Kaufman both issued statements reassuring the cannabis industry that they will continue protecting law-abiding Coloradans. And Senator Cory Gardner made national news with his criticisms of the Justice Department from the Senate floor. Patty, was Westward at DEFCON 1 last uh, yesterday with this Oh, it was. The
1: siren sounded immediately. <laughs> and we were looking at every comment. Every single um, congressional rep weighed in immediately. The senators weighed in immediately, which is good because for Colorado, this is a state's right issue. We've got a business that marijuana has been legal here for four years now with relatively few problems and a lot of cash coming into the coffers. Um, it was a state amendment to our ballot to legalize it and now for the feds to say I mean these memos essentially said under the Obama era that federal prosecutors would not be prosecuting in states where businesses in legal marijuana states unless they were breaking laws in those states too but it would be a low priority. This removes all that. No one really knows what's going to happen whether or not they'll just be going after bad actors or they'll be popping people who just happen to have an ounce of pot on them, which is what concerns a lot of people. We'll see it shake out, but Cory Gardner really, he gave a rousing speech yesterday morning because during the confirmation hearings for Jeff Sessions, he had specifically asked if Sessions planned to allow states that were exercising states' rights and had legalized marijuana, whether they would leave him whether he would leave them alone, and he said he would. And now, obviously, this does not. So Gardner, if you listen to that speech, it was a great impassioned speech where he threatened to hold up all new justice nominees, too. So good for Gardner on that.
0: David, there's, uh, you are our esteemed lawyer at the table, and there's a couple different confusing legal things here for I think the average folks. I'm going to put myself in that group. When you hear uh, a U.S. Attorney General and a memo, and then you hear a U.S. Attorney in Colorado saying, eh, well, we're really not going to do anything different, and then you have other state officials here, how should the average Coloradan perceive uh, legally what we're hearing from this announcement?
2: Um, unfortunately, the, the state of our current law is if the feds want to persecute Marijuana businesses or or users, uh, they can. the The most recent precedent is the Rache versus Gonzalez case from the Supreme Court earlier this century, where six three, the court said that Angel Rache, who was had an uh, illness that would be fatal without consumption of, of medical marijuana, and was consuming medical marijuana was non commercially grown. No commercial transaction ever took place, wholly within the state of California that somehow Congress's power to regulate commerce among the several states can be extended so far as to go to purely non-commercial activity that occurs only in one state. That's the basis of a lot of bad federal laws on many topics, and the Supreme Court eventually should change its mistaken interpretation on that, but for now uh, the feds get to win. The good thing is they don't have the, they don't have the resources, fortunately, uh, to go and persecute every user or every person who's you know, growing for personal consumption. Uh, but just sending a few threat letters to landlords about invoking the pos- prospect of civil asset forfeiture uh, would probably be enough to, to mostly shut down uh, the, the lawful commercial industry in this state. Uh, kudos to all Colorado elected officials who stood up. The vast majority of them voted against the marijuana amendment that was adopted by the people, but on a bipartisan basis they're doing a great job of unifying behind, respecting the will of the people expressed through the Constitution. But as Patty said, Cory Gardner is far above all the rest. Everybody complains about the weather, but not many people do anything about it. Cory Gardner is the only one who is now making Jeff Sessions pay a price for it. He has the ability as a lone senator to put a hold on Department of Justice nominees, and he said he's going to do that. Uh, so he, he brought down the, the nuclear option, the biggest hammer, and he's, he's the only one of all our Colorado elected officials uh, who's really taken affirmative action uh, to, to force the, uh, Sessions uh, to pay some consequences for his uh, lies during this confirmation hearing.
0: Eric, I, I guess I wasn't terribly surprised by hearing the uh, vociferous points made by both Kaufman and Gardner, among other congressional delegations. But is that enough upcoming to, to uh, upcoming elections where the public will separate what's happening in D.C. from our own delegation, or will they want our
3: delegation to pay for what's happening in D.C.? Don't know fully the answer to that. Gardner doesn't have to face the voters now okay. for until. 2020, obviously, Kaufman and other uh, U.S. representatives have to face some this, this year that we're now entering. Uh, I do not have maybe per, perhaps the same affinity for the explosion of marijuana that some other people in Colorado that some other people around this table might have, and that's all well and good. I do have an affinity for the concept of states' rights and that states have that degree of sovereignty and that the voters of Colorado considered this and passed it, and it wasn't even that narrow of a passage. Um, I do not, I have no idea what it means to be a Republican these days, and this is just one issue of many. I thought being a Republican used to mean you supported states' rights and local rights and you put a priority on them. But that seems, particularly in this Trump administration or Jeff Sessions administration, to be you know, not a principle, but totally something of convenience. If it's something, uh, if it's a convenient argument to use, they use it. If it's an inconvenient argument to use, uh, they ignore it. Uh, So I totally support, whether it's Hickenlooper, Corey Gardner, Cynthia Kaufman, uh, Mike Kaufman, all the rest of them in terms of their statements yesterday. i will be interesting to see how this plays out. Bob Troyer, the U.S. attorney uh, here at the moment in Colorado, said the right things about this really not being a major factor and it would be sort of still business as it had been before. But let's not forget, Bob Troyer reports to Jeff Sessions. Jeff Sessions is his boss. And if there is a new policy coming out of the U.S. Department of Justice, uh, I don't know for how long U.S. attorneys around the country, in Colorado and elsewhere, will just be able to say, oh, never mind. And this is a huge industry, and I think it opened a, a lot of people's
0: eyes to see graphics yesterday on the news where th- nearly 35,000 people work in the marijuana industry in Colorado compared to the other industries. I think the uh, only one of that's bigger was uh, uh, servers like waitresses and waiters at 54,000. I mean, you consider that every restaurant in Colorado, there's only 20,000 more people that work uh, uh, versus the marijuana industry. Business-wise, is this making big waves?
4: It's hard to tell, and, and one of the reasons it's not seeming to drive people nuts yet is because of what, Governor Hickenlooper and A.G. Kaufman came out and said yesterday, it was kind of the nothing to see here, let's move along, business as usual. Hickenlooper had a couple uh, salient points about this. One, uh, for the DOJ to start raiding local pot shops, whether that be here or in other states where they're legal, would imply that the DOJ DOJ has a much greater treasure trove of resources than we've ever been led to see. I mean, They're fighting the war on opioids, on heroin. Uh, The guess is they're going to continue fighting those, and this will be almost a minor peck in that. Um- the other thing that Hickenlooper made a good point about, he, he said that now more than half of America lives in a state where some form of, ma- of marijuana, whether medical or retail, is legalized. And maybe what this does is open up the question to Congress. Should we go beyond letting states decide this, and should we have a, a federal weigh-in on this? Should we you know, have something that definitively says, okay, maybe we legalize marijuana, or that we specifically say states can legalize marijuana? So nobody thinks... The sky is falling right now, but I think they're worried to see what might come down from the sky. A bill,
0: to, a proposal to make it illegal to purchase, sell, or possess bump stocks, is one step closer to passing in the Denver City Council this week. Introduced by Councilman Rafael Espinoza, the proposal would also cover magazines with 15 rounds or more, and punishment can range from $100 to $999 and jail time of up of 10 to 180 days. Uh, David, you're clearly our gun expert, what do you make of what we're seeing at the Denver City Council? Well,
2: I I testified before the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee back in December, and said that a device that makes a normal gun fire as fast as a machine gun should be regulated the same as a machine gun. In federal law and in in Colorado, which is parasitic on that, uh, there's a very strict licensing and registration and tax system for machine guns, I think bump stocks should be brought into that, I don't. I don't think they should be banned. So I don't agree with this Denver proposal. But I will say to uh, Councilman Espinosa's credit, the definition of bump stock that is in that bill is a uh, good and accurate one. Unlike a, the the federal bill by Senator Dianne Feinstein, which would ban many, many other things that have nothing to do with, with bump stocks. And on the the magazine ban, obviously, I, I don't agree with that either. But I would say the uh, the council has been making some progress in, in like the committee hearing la- earlier this week about drafting that that ban so it more accurately aligns uh, with state law rather than, than causing conflicts.
3: Eric, is this a big deal for the diversity council to be proposing something like this? No, it's not surprising. You have a liberal city council in a liberal city and uh, tackling a liberal issue. Uh, so it's not surprising at all. Good for Councilman Espinoza. Good for them for tackling it. I, uh, you know, don't understand the gun issue, at least the legal piece of it, in any of the depth that David does. But I think you know David's point of that regulating bump stocks like uh, machine guns is basically something that, as one of the foremost gun advocates in the country, legal advocates in the country, that 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 even David Kopel is embracing. So this is not completely. N- uh, uh, completely novel ground. I, uh, good for the city council. I'd only note that you know, the fines here are fairly modest. And if somebody really wants to shoot up a place, uh, somehow I don't think six months in jail or $999 is going to be exactly weighing on their mind. Ed, do you think other cities will take uh, Denver's lead in doing similar proposals? Uh, they may,
4: but uh, you know, here's the one thing about Denver's proposal. It actually technically really does nothing. Uh, according to Denver's 1989 assault weapons ban, the weapons that you can attach a bump stock to are already illegal in Denver. So this is taking something and saying, hey, you can't do this, and now you can't attach this to something you can't already do. It, it's really a statement bill here. I think it may spawn other cities to do this, but in Denver, it's, it's not going to have much of an impact. Patty, all hat, no cattle?
1: Well, it's still better than a cat declong measure. I think (laughs) this is the kind of social issue that you can see there's a reason for city council to weigh in on, even if it really doesn't do much. And we certainly have talked enough about the ban back from from 89 that Denver does have a right to ban some things. It's the home rule issue in Colorado.
0: The Colorado 2018 legislative session is less than a week away, and what's likely to be a contentious year got even more interesting when it was revealed that the federal tax reform law that recently passed will meet a dramatic to increase in state tax revenue to the tune of between 200 and 300 million dollars for Colorado. Eric, uh, the, the session has yet to start, but we already have headlines. Uh, take, take your favorite of what you'd like to comment about.
3: Yeah, I'm going to be quick here because I want to turn the floor over to, to Ed C. Lover, who is the covers the Capitol. This is what he does for a living and has a good story in uh, today's Denver Business Journal. Uh, and viewers should go read that story, a good all-encompassing preview of the session. The punchline, Ed can speak for himself, is it's not set up for a whole lot to be done, unlike the predecessor session in, in 2017. I have an interest particularly in the para reform issue. I've worked for para in years way past, and these days i uh, am leading an advocacy organization trying to call attention to this issue. I will be curious as to whether uh, how it plays in this session. I think every responsible legislator, left, right, Democrat, Republican, understands that this is a ticking time bomb. It needs to be dealt with. But the devil is in the details, and the details are painful. But inaction is even more painful. I quote my old mentor, and then I'll turn it over, uh, former Governor Lamb in a Channel 9 interview a year or two ago. With Kyle Clark, uh, Dick Lamb was asked, what is the one issue that Colorado is ignoring at its para, at its peril? And he had a one-word answer, and that was para. Hmm. Uh, we'll see if it continues to get ignored and it can, continues to get kicked down the road. Ed, as alluded to, uh, masterfully by Eric, you are a guy
0: on the hill. Uh, you have a, a great piece out today at the Denver Business Journal to check out. What do we need to be on the lookout for? And what about this whole uh, 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 great tax revenue
4: boom that's coming to the state of Colorado probably surprising a lot of Coloradans? That will probably cause some more fights. So let's just set this up. Election year sessions are always a little tougher to get things through because people are less willing to budge. They want to make more statements. They want to put them on election cards rather than say, hey, you know, I compromised on this. Um, This year is going to be particularly tough, and here's why. When I talked to Senate President Kevin Grantham and House Speaker Chris Nata Duran, I've interviewed them twice over the last two weeks, and just gave them the basic question, what are your priorities for the session? You often hear the same issues but attacked from different ways. They're not even talking about the same issues this year. Kevin Grantham wants to get a whole heck of a lot more funding going toward transportation. He wants to reform Para. He wants to make the Colorado Energy Office solvent again as long as it's uh, promoting traditional energy. Krasnath Duran wants to um, work on affordable housing uh, issues. She wants to make, uh, be able to help people pay for child care, she wants to increase education funding. Now, she'll say, well, transportation funding is a priority, but it's usually about sixth or seventh on her list of things that come up there. Only the idea of expanding rural broadband was on both of their lists when just asked the same question here. Um, and even when you get those, those uh, ideas out there, they're so different. For example, on the para issue, uh, Republicans in the Senate say, we want to go beyond just, you know, giving it more money and to say, uh, maybe we should switch this from a defined benefit Plan to define contribution plan for new enrollees. Democrats yesterday said, "No, we won't even consider that idea." On transportation funding, Republicans want to put much of the new funding, including this new funding coming from federal tax reform, uh, to uh, to transportation over the next two years. Saying, "Look, we have severely underfunded this." Uh, Democrats say, "Oh yeah, we like transportation, but boy, there's a lot of competing priorities here." What this is is heading for is a session where you're going to get a lot of arguments and 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 a lot of. Subs- substantial arguments, probably, uh, about where the state needs to go. But boy, it is not starting out looking like there's going to be a lot done on some of these key issues. And you pick which one you want is the key issue. Uh, but in all likelihood, uh, the Senate Republicans and House Democrats think differently about it. Hmm. Uh, Patty, it's been a while
0: since we've had uh, lawmakers being able to fight over money, uh, actually be able to spend it. It's usually fighting over where we're going to cut it. Um, do you think Hick and Looper can craft a compromise, seeing that we still have a split legislature? It- it's not like anyone is running big majorities here. Can he craft a compromise?
1: Well, he's sure going to try because this is a possibility for solving some of the transportation issues. I mean, it's interesting that he's got Grantham who, at least in theory, is there too. He's a lame, Hickenlooper's a lame duck, but he's also a really good politician. He's still got a lot of savvy people on his staff. So they're going to be working. They're going to be twisting arms. They're going to be trying really hard to solve one of the long-running problems in Colorado. We'll see if the legislators can put aside their electioneer concerns about the different positions they're going to have to take in order to keep their seats to do something that will be really for the greater long-term good of Colorado. It's going to be a wild legislat- legislature, though. I think traffic jams on the transportation issue.
0: <laughs> David, wrap, us, uh, wrap it up for us. Where are we going to see at the legislature this year?
1: Well, last session it ended in the final
2: days with a big budget bill that, that violated the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights. Negotiated by Grantham and Duran, and clearly Duran won that. That wasn't a 50-50. It wasn't a 60-40. He caved and got a few things out of it. He would have been in a he'd be in a better position this year in negotiations if he hadn't been such a uh, a milk toast and let uh, and also violated his oath to protect the taxpayers' bill of rights. Uh, as Eric says, Para is taking the state off a fiscal cliff, and it's the people who are going to suffer most immediately, are going to be the state workers who in the future are going to be retired and there's not going to be the money uh, to pay them these promises that are just promises in the air uh, for their pensions. They'd be a lot better off if with a defined contribution plan, li- like an IRA or a Keogh plan, it would be their own money that they could keep and they don't have to worry about whether the state budget is balanced to know that they're going to have their money uh, for their retirement.
0: And, and a quick follow-up. Did I hear correctly with some of the reports that it was the, the bill that passed with a hospital provider fee last year that enabled the federal tax reform increased revenue to not be refunded back to taxpayers but actually be spent by lawmakers?
2: Exactly, to deprive the taxpayers of their choice to vote on And grant them would be better off to say, well, let's uh, ask the voters to keep it and we'll ask them for something that they know they want, like transportation, uh, rather than Duran's program of throwing more money uh, into programs that might not have as much uh, popular support.
0: It's going to be a spicy session. Let's get to our favorite part of the show for the first time in 2018, Disgrace of the Week. And as always, Ms. Calhoun, please start us off.
1: Well, certainly the tragedy of the week, the New Year's Eve shooting of Deputy um, Zachary Parrish. Right as we're taping this, the funeral procession is going on. An incredibly sad situation for not just him and his family, but other law enforcement officials. And we still don't know everything that went down, but we certainly know that a person who is as troubled as this shooter was should not have left the VA hospital in Wyoming the way he was allowed to. And somehow people should have been more on notice of what they were getting into when they respond to responding to what apparently was a domestic violence call. But there's still a lot of mysteries there, undeniable tragedy in any case.
2: David, your Disgrace of the Week. The hooligans who showed up at the home of uh, Senator Cory Gardner in Yuma, Arizona at midnight oh, on wow. New Year's Eve, trespassed on his property, screaming, all that. It, it's fine to have political protest, but people who have any sense of dignity or respect for other human beings uh, don't behave like that.
3: Eric. I don't often get to correct David, but I know he meant Yuma, Colorado here. And not, <laughs> the, the not the, not, the not, not you, David Coppola typo. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> it, it happens so rarely I had to uh, jump in there. I'll just give you two names. Donald Trump, Steve Bannon. They deserve each other. (laughs) I'm going to follow up on what Patty said, but I want to focus in on the fact that uh,
4: the Douglas County shooter uh, walked away from a mental health facility and also refused several efforts to get him back into mental health treatment. This is the same thing we heard about the Sandy Springs, Texas church shooter in November as well. At this point, we are seeing a constant thread of mental health being a link between these shootings. If we're serious about stopping these, we've got to give the resources to the mental health system to keep these people under lock and guard, and we've got to make sure that they're Easier to confine when experts say they shouldn't be out in society. Time to see something nice. Patty?
1: Yeehaw! The National Western Stock Show is back uh, where it's been since 1906. We've got this huge billion dollar project coming down the pike that will completely remodel that complex, completely change that part of Denver. We're hoping for the best with that, but in the meantime, get out and enjoy yourself if you can get there up Brighton Boulevard.
0: That's a good point. I was stuck there
2: this morning. That's incredible. Holy smokes. (laughs) David. Further yeehaw, the University of Colorado men's basketball team last night defeated number four Arizona State after starting, they were down by 12 points and came back to win the game by nine against one of the best teams in the country.
3: Here, here, Eric. It's hard to find much with uh, President Trump to praise and it, uh, it, it's hard for me to do so. But I have to say on Iran, he's closer to correct on his approach to what is going on in Iran with a, a developing or massive protest at a minimum and maybe a developing revolution than was his predecessor, Barack Obama, uh, who really turned a complete deaf ear back in 2009 to the uprisings in Iran. So on this one... I'll give them some points. Ed. If you're not heading to the
4: stock show this weekend, head up to Breckenridge, where Laura and Bill Lodge have created, have turned the Big Beers, Belgians, and Barley Wine Festivals into one of the best festivals in America. They continue to evolve it. It's going to be a fun weekend with a lot of good people up there. That is
0: all the time we have for this edition of Colorado Inside Out. As always, log on to Facebook or Twitter for our CIO segments, both past and present. You can also find our podcast on iTunes and Google Play. I also want to thank all of you, our viewers, uh, for making our big 25th season last year so special. We've heard from many of you, and we are grateful for your support. And here's to the next 25 years. And speaking of that, if you missed any of our finales last, uh, last year, uh, both our look back on 2017 and our look ahead of 2018, which featured... Uh, our good friend and past host Peter Boyles, be sure to check him out at cpt12.org. For everybody here at Colorado Public Television, I'm Dominic Dizzutti. Thanks for watching. Good night.